all stand together. Our God and firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. The nations rise and fall. Come on. Kingdoms once strong. We trust forever in your name. Name of Jesus, we trust the name of Jesus. You are the only King forever. some words and your response is what his love and just forever come on here we go his love and just forever give thanks to the God of God give thanks to the Lord of Lords to him who alone does great wonders who by his understanding made the heavens who spread out the earth upon the waters We lift our banner high, we lift the name of Jesus, from age to age you reign, your kingdom has no end. We lift our banner high, we lift the name of Jesus, from age to age you reign, your kingdom
Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship. Please join us in a call to worship. It's going to be on the screen any moment now. There you go. All right, here we go. So I will start, and then you have a response. Here we go. Oh, Lord, open our eyes. O oh Lord, open our ears. O oh Lord, open our lips. Sisters and brothers, arise. Arise and lift up your hearts. Arise and lift your voices. Let us reach out toward each other. For our God reaches out toward us. Let us worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I worship you. You are here, oh, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, we make a miracle worker, promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Oh, we make a miracle work, promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. Touch our hearts, O God. I worship yeah. You are here Oh, healing every heart I worship you I worship you You are here Turning lives around I worship you I worship you Get out, everyone. Every voice, every voice. 
you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop miracles for us oh God areas of our lives where we need miracles where we need you to show up in new ways in unexpected ways to bless your people to heal us to change our hearts to soften our hearts to um, to be more Christ-like in everyday dealings with our friends and neighbors and acquaintances God help us to to make you look good in, in how we represent you forgive us when we fail and make a way for us. We make a miracle worker. Lord, many of us are sick among us. And God, we ask for healing for our friends. And that you will touch them. And give them peace in their homes, in their families. Thank you for our young people. Thank you for our children as they go today. Lord, to learn more of you. God, go before them. Thank you for our teachers, volunteers, all those who serve. I pray you bless them. Bless the work of their hands. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated for a while. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. We are so glad you are here. If you're with us online, we would invite you to check in with us on Planning Center because we want to know that you are with us as well. So there are so many, um, so many exciting things coming up. We are now fully into fall. It's amazing that it's October. There's no pretending that we're on the edge of summer anymore. So we're all in. So we have some exciting things coming up that are part of the season. So let me um, share a couple of them with you. The first announcement that I want to make today is there, um, our Nystrom, Professor Nystrom is teaching a class, Who Was Luke? And it starts tonight at 6. And so if you have not signed up and you wished you had, there's still time to do so. This is going to be a four-week all-Zoom class. So you can join us from the comfort of your house. Um, so feel free to sign on with Planning Center or email me if you want to be a part of this great four-week study on um, learning more about the author of this gospel reading that we are studying for this fall. Also coming up in, um, I don't know how many weeks it is, but October 24th, I believe is the date, is our annual meeting. Um, and that is going to be by Zoom as well. So it'll be in the early afternoon. We're still finalizing the time, but um, set your calendar and plan to join us to help um, pay attention to what's going on in the business of the church and being, being able to contribute to that. So we look forward to having you with us. Oh, and 
the slide tells me it is at 1.30. So apparently we do know the time. So set 1.30 on the 24th for our annual meeting. So, And that day, there's a lot of things to keep track of as far as time because that day we are going to be switching our outdoor and our indoor services. So because um, we're anticipating it getting crisper in the morning. We will have our 9 o'clock service be indoors and our 11 o'clock be outdoors beginning on the 24th. So lots of things to keep track of. The final announcement for today is we are going to have a um, service of, mer of remembrance on November 7th at 4 here. Uh, we realize that there has been a lot of loss that has not been able to be recognized um, and processed. And so we, Jane is going to hold a brief service for us to be able to celebrate, remember, and mourn those that we have lost during COVID that we haven't been able to gather to do so. So you can set that date. There'll be more information coming on that. So just a couple things to add to your, add to your calendar for this fall. So now we're going to enter into our time of offering. Um, we are just grateful to be able to give back to God. And so there's several ways you can do this. You can give on through Planning Center, um, through the website. You can drop a check in the basket or in the office. So lots of different ways to give. And we are just grateful for a community that gives so well and loves so well. So let me pray for our offering now. Father, you are the giver of all good things. And your word makes it clear that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask that you accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May these gifts bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, hope to the hopelessness. Just as you multiplied the offer of fish and loaves that were freely given for others, we pray that you would multiply these, our offerings, to you and accomplish with them more than we could ask or imagine. We give freely, not from compulsion, for there is nothing we could give that matches your glory and majesty and the great gift of your Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit, which guides us daily. All we have is yours, Father, and we ask that you would use us and all we have as you will. Amen. I have days I lose the fight Try my best but just don't get it right Where I talk the talk that I don't want And miss the moments right before my eyes I do Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with a hand that I could have helped When I just can't see Ask myself, Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like. There's no denying I have changed I've been saved from who I used to be But even at my 
my best, I must confess, I still need help to see the way you see. Somebody with the hurt that I could have felt, somebody with the hand that I could have felt, when I just can't see past myself, Lord help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like A little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Oh, to feed the beggar on the street, love to be your hands and feet, freely give what I receive, Lord, help me be. I want to put you first above all else, love my neighbor and myself. A little more, come on, help me out. A little more like kindness, goodness, love and faith. A little more like patience, a little more like peace. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. A little more like living everything I preach. A little more like Jesus, a little less like Good morning to you. Oh, it is very, very good to see you on this communion service Sunday. I'm Dan Seitz. I'm senior pastor here. And again, man, what a delight to see your faces, at least the part of them that I can see. Uh, your eyes are sparkling. Uh, I'm really happy to have Riptide Nation here in the room. Yeah, we have our Riptide students here. They're usually occupying the first two rows. They own it. Don't even try to get a seat there. And, uh, but they're here for the full service today, and we're so glad you're here. Are you glad Riptide is here? Yeah, that's right. And then uh, ditto with Edge. I see some Edge uh, Nation people in the back. So anyway, glad you're here as well. Hey, we are in week four of a message series entitled Galilee by Storm, which I have really enjoyed. I hope you have as well. And in this series... We are studying both here on Sunday mornings and in our birdhouses, our groups, like the Parents of Young Children family group that launched about five weeks ago and has been a great smash. I, I was really excited about this. Alice and I have been going to this family group led beautifully by Anna and Mike Downing. We got a lot more young families at Hillside than I thought. They're coming out on Sunday night, and it's just a joy to meet these people, to meet their kids. But anyway, in here and in our groups this fall, we're doing something exciting. We're reliving Jesus's tornado tour 
through Galilee, the first phase of his three-year ministry when he just roared through his home region in a, a storm of preaching, teaching, healing, inviting people into community in a way that just left everybody or nearly everybody breathless with excitement. And I'm sensing that excitement or I'm experiencing that excitement as we go through the stories. Speaking of, we're dealing with stories. And with the stories, we're taking a narrative approach. And that means that we're reading these stories with our imaginations fully engaged. And let me tell you, we have a great story this morning, one that I believe is going to give you an exhilarating picture of God's heart for us. So I think we have something good coming down the pipe. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that Martin Luther said that disciples like us, like all of us in this room today, are called to receive the Gospels both as gifts and as guides. And with respect to the latter, the four Gospels as guides, Luther says we are to take the Jesus we find there seriously as an example for us, as someone to actually imitate in the way we talk, in the way we interact with people, in the way we respond to our enemies, in our work, in our relationships. But before we receive the Gospels as guides for life, Luther says, we receive them as gifts. Gifts from God that reveal to us his very self, who he really is and who he is for us. And again, today, the view that we get of this God, this God who really exists, who isn't just a figment of our imaginations, but who exists in the world and is even here with us right now in this room, it's, it's, it's quite a vision. So before we jump into the story, uh, let me pray, and we're going to ask for God the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. One of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to bring these stories alive for us. So that's what we're going to do right now. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're so thankful to have arrived at this moment. And all week we have been striving. We've been striving in our jobs. We have been striving in our calling as parents. We have been striving in our ministries here at Hillsides, ones that we took on and have committed to through May as part of Project 404. Uh, students in the room from Edge and Riptide have been striving away at school. But now we've arrived at a moment of calm and a moment of rest. And this is a moment in which we can attend to the most important things of life, which are you and your word. And Father, as we slip through the wardrobe of Luke 5, 1 through 11, and into the very presence of your Son, we ask that you would help us all see him clearly, and as a result, be nourished to the deepest parts of our hearts, and we're necessary to be redirected. We know you're going to do this, Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of the Son. Amen. Let's jump in, starting at verse 1. 
On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to push out a little from the land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. According to Luke, the historian who wrote this biography that we're studying this fall, Jesus has been on this whirlwind tour of his home region, Galilee, and and mostly he's been spending time in the synagogues. And for you middle schoolers here in the first two rows, if you don't know, you might, but a synagogue was just the neighborhood church for Jewish people like it is today. But here we learn that actually Jesus didn't limit himself to the synagogues. In this story, He's preaching about the kingdom. He's preaching about the return of the one true God to his people uh, after being away for quite a few centuries. He's doing this outside, in the open air, right by the Sea of Galilee. And although this is actually not the primary focus of this story, there's a famous writer named J.C. Ryle who said, there's something here that we actually don't want to miss. We don't need to be in church to talk about Jesus. And the reason is the gospel, which is the story of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he taught, the story that culminates with Jesus actually becoming not just the king of some other world, but the king of earth, the king of this world. It's public news. And if you grow up in church, you might kind of have this idea, well, actually Jesus and what we talk about is really just for us in here. No. It's actually public news. It's for everyone. And one of the challenges of the story right off the front is that we should be confident as believing people in sharing this skillfully with people outside. This really encouraged me. I'm jumping ahead of myself. The reason is that the gospel, again, this message that our lives are centered on about who Jesus is, what he did, where he is now, ruling this world, it's a beautiful story. It's a compelling story, and it's a plausible story. And what I mean by plausible is that it's based in good reasons. There are lots and lots of reasons to believe it's true. And I don't know whether you know this, or any of you know this, but the gospel has been believed by some of the smartest and some of the most creative people in history. And even some of the very best things in our world, the very best features of our culture, are things that owe their existence to the gospel. Even the idea of things like human rights, that humans, all human beings, regardless of who they are, where they're born, where they happen to live, are entitled to respect and appreciation and fair treatment, that doesn't exist from nowhere. You know where that comes from? That comes from the gospel. That comes from the message of Jesus. So you should be proud and confident in sharing it skillfully as God gives you the opportunity. You know, this is, will really encourage you all. Recently, one of Riptide Nation here, I won't say who, did something really remarkable. This Riptider invited a friend to Riptide. Somebody that this Riptider had actually only known for a week or two, had no real relationship with, kind of developed a little friendship in school. And 
invited this friend to this fabulous gathering we have in Riptide. And this person who this Riptider invited, no church background at all, no background at all, had no reason to think that this guy would necessarily be interested, but he extended the invitation, and lo and behold, the person came and had a fantastic time. And this person did this because he recognized something that we all know but actually need to be reminded of from time to time, the gift of Jesus, all that it means, forgiveness, a clean slate, the Holy Spirit, new power for living a, a faithful, courageous life and a new healthy style of life which the gospel furnishes, a new way to live in the world that leads to psychological health and emotional health and relational flourishing, it's for everyone. Yeah, every single person. Anyway, Luke says here in verse one that the crowd is hyped by Jesus. And they are, so, this is cool, they're so captivated by what they are hearing uh, that they're actually sort of pushing their way to the front. They're rushing the stage. And if you remember from the reading, Jesus is actually right on the edge of the water. So the crowd is pushing in. He's kind of probably getting pushed back a little bit, and his feet are getting wetter and wetter. And so he's thinking to himself, gosh, you know, um, you know, what am I going to do? And he's going to solve this problem in a second. But I want you to think about this for a second, because we said that with these stories, we're going to be keeping our imaginations turned up to 10. Let me ask you, and maybe I'm particularly interested in asking you guys. When's the last time you heard somebody give a talk or a speech or a lecture that was so interesting and so captivating that you found you and the other audience members rushing the front to be able to hear the speaker better? When's the last time that happened? And I know what you're thinking. Right now, Dan, right now, we are trying to hold ourselves back because this is so, so good. But seriously, think about this. Use your imagination, all of us. Think about how captivating Jesus must have been if people were willing not just to stand outside in the hot sun and in the, the mud and the muck uh, near the lake to hear him speak. And they were even willing to rush forward to hear him better. In the previous chapter, Luke says that Jesus' word, which kind of includes everything that he said, all of his preaching, it possessed exousia, which is the Greek word for power or might or authoritativeness. And here in our story, we get a picture of it. When this guy spoke, it wasn't like anybody else. People recognized that he knew what he was talking about. Well, Jesus is giving this message. The crowd is pushing forward. He's kind of getting pushed further and further back towards the water. And he notices there are a couple of boats nearby. And Jesus thinks, ah, here's a solution. So what he does is he, he jumps in one of the boats. And then he says to Peter, who is the professional fisherman who owns the boat, he says, hey, push me out just a little bit. I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 feet. So I've got some room. And uh, Peter does that. Now, let's turn up the imagination dials again. And let's imagine that we're there. Let's say that we're, we're, we're in maybe the 500, 700 people who are right there 
listening to Jesus talk. We've seen Jesus uh, jump in the boat. We've seen Jesus ask Peter to push the boat out to the side, okay? What, what, what might have struck us if we were there? Now, I've read this story many times over the years, but you know what's the thing that's always struck me? What thing that always strikes me is that Jesus doesn't ask if he can use the boat. Now, he asks Peter to push the boat out. Remember that? But what he doesn't do is he doesn't ask if he can ever use the boat. And whenever I'd read, read that story, I'd think, I wonder how that struck Peter. <laughs> I wonder how he took that. And on the one hand, he might have been a little bit perturbed, right? Because usually... It's not polite to use somebody's property without asking them. On the other hand, think about this. When, when someone whom you really admire, and maybe you know a little bit, but you're interested in knowing better, makes himself or makes herself comfortable in your space, you, you, you feel kind of honored, don't you? Because by doing so, the person is actually treating you like somebody other than a stranger, somebody who's familiar, even sort of as a friend. And so maybe, you know, rather than resentment, rather than being bothered by what Jesus has done, Peter's thought is something like this as he scrubs away at his nets. Wow, this amazing prophet, this guy who's doing all these wonderful works and is talking like nobody else has about God finally coming back to his people— He's using my boat, and he didn't even ask. He must feel pretty comfortable with me. Maybe he sees me as a friend. It's kind of hard to know what his reaction is, but it's interesting to wonder. Well, continuing on at verse 4, and here the plot thickens. Don't miss this. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Well, like Luke says, after finishing the talk, finishing his speech, Jesus looks towards Peter and he says, hey, you and your guys, go fishing again. Get out in the boat and go fishing again. Now, remember what we've already learned from the story. They've already been out fishing, right? They were out all night, and they had no success at all. So you can imagine they're, 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 they're pretty tired. And we get a sense that this is a big ask. We get a sense that maybe Peter's not going to be real excited about being told to go fishing again. But actually, we get a sense for how big this ask is when we do a little, get a little historical background. Get this. Bible scholars actually know the kind of nets that Galilean fishermen used in the first century. They were called trammel nets, and trammel nets were huge. They were 500 feet long, they were very heavy, and they usually required four fishermen to handle them. They were made of linen, and every time you used them, every single time, all 500 feet of these nets, you had to wash them at the end, which took several hours and was a very laborious task. It's also helpful to know that these nets that they used were only good for night fishing because they were so big, the, the webbing was so big and so white that the fish could easily see them. So there was never a, a reason to use them during the day. And now I think we're in a better position to understand just how Peter would have responded 
to Jesus' command. First, you would be thinking, if we go out fishing again, all of the work that we've been doing to clean these nets is going to be wasted. We're going to have to do it all again. And then on top of that, he's probably thinking, it's daytime. There's no use in fishing with tramway nets during the day. That's pointless. And lastly, this might have hit him hardest. Maybe he's thinking to himself, you know, besides the wasted time and the wasted effort of going fishing right now during the day, we are going to look ridiculous if we do this. Because fishermen do not fish with tramway nets during the day, and the guys in the other boats, and you could imagine there are other fishing outfits around, are going to laugh their heads off when they see us. All this must be going through Peter's mind. I have a question for you. Any of you ever watched Deadliest Catch? Many of you have. This is the greatest show on television. If it were up to me, Deadliest Catch would win every Emmy every year, okay? They tried to reproduce the magic with ice road truckers, didn't cut it. But Deadliest Catch is fantastic. And if you know Deadliest Catch, you know that commercial fishermen like Captain Sig Hansen and Captain Wild Bill Wichowski are not only tough, but these guys are proud. And they never want to look weak or foolish in front of their fellow fishermen. Well, presumably this is Peter too. Peter's a commercial fisherman and he doesn't want to look foolish. And he knows that if he obeys Jesus, if he does what Jesus is calling him to do, he's going to look foolish. But then Peter surprises us. What does Peter do? He says, you know what, Jesus, although it's going to be futile, and although we're tired, and although we've been working all night, because you have said to do it, I'll do it. Now imagine if you were one of Peter's fellow fishermen. Imagine you worked for, for Peter. Imagine what you would be saying to yourself after you overheard this conversation between Peter, Jesus, and Peter. You know what you'd be saying? You'd be saying, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. We've worked all night. Why are you listening to this guy, Peter? You know, he may know something about preaching. He may know something about the kingdom of God, but he does not know squat about fishing. But because Peter is the boss and because Peter is tough, he's as hardcore as Captain Sig Hansen. <laughs> you just start loading the boat. All right? What happens next? Verse 6. And when they had done that, meaning when they had pushed the boat out, out into the deep, unrolled the 500-foot-long trammel nets and stuck them in the water, when they had done that, get this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And here we get, I think, one of the really colorful moments in the whole New Testament and certainly in Jesus' life. This picture is meant to make us laugh. It's meant to astonish us. It's, it's meant to amaze us. Luke says that after dropping their nets, again in daytime, when there's absolutely no expectation that they will find any fish, they pull the nets up and the nets are so full, so teeming with Galilean damselfish that the nets begin to break. And they're in such trouble, they call for their friends from the other boat to come and help them. And that boat comes over and those guys start to try to heave up the nets and that boat 
begins to sink. Can you imagine how funny this would be if you were on the shore? It would probably be pretty hilarious. But not everybody is laughing. Listen to what happens at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, meaning when he saw this huge catch, totally unexpected, listen, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. This, this is really something. Luke tells us that after seeing this miracle catch, what does Peter do? Does he thank him? No. He drops before him. You can imagine it's probably muddy. Drops to his knees right before Jesus, and he begs Jesus to go away. Why? We wonder. I mean, think about it. Jesus has just given him this huge gift. Think about what two big fishing boats full of fish would have been worth. Why? Why does he tell Jesus to go away? Here's why. Because in this miracle catch, Jesus has shown Peter who he is and who Peter is. And it's more than Peter can handle. He's undone. He unravels. You know, this is interesting. Several times in the Old Testament, maybe you know some of these stories, people suddenly realize that they are talking to the one true God. They didn't realize it before, but suddenly they realize, oh my goodness, the person in front of me is the living God. And when they make that discovery, they unravel. They melt, understanding that in the presence of this God of burning holiness, they could turn to ash at any second. We see it in the story of Isaiah. We see it in the story of Jeremiah. We see it with Manoah in Judges 13. We see it again here. Peter is undone. He unravels when he realizes the power and the holiness of the God whom he's in the presence of. And making that dismay worse is awareness at that moment of his own wretchedness, his own weakness, which is made more stark in the light of just this incredible generosity that he receives. You know, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but it happens to me. I can be undone by generosity. And it'll happen sometimes when I'll say, get a thank you note. I'll go into the office, look at my mail slot, and there will be something that looks like a thank you note. You can just tell. It looks different than the correspondence that we sometimes get as pastors. And I will have a very hard time opening it. Oh, no, it's a blessing of some sort, but it unnerves me. And in a weird way, it makes me feel like, oh, I didn't do very well by that person, or I didn't respond to that email, or I failed this, or I failed that, or I wish I could have done better, or I don't deserve it. And it's almost painful to open it. And these things sometimes will stack up. <laughs> And Allison will help me. She'll say, you know, it looks like there's a uh, little note there on your desk. Why don't we open it? And if, unless I'm in a very strong state of mind, I'll say, no, no, not now. I can't take it. Not now. 
And eventually she will just open it and kind of put it right in my face. So I see it. I realize how odd that is. But sometimes generosity can unnerve us. And I think that's what happens to Peter here. He knows he's not deserving of it. And it, 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 it puts him onto his knees. Well, we wonder at this point, you know, what's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? A few weeks ago, we said when we read these stories, we're going to be paying careful attention to the stylistic features of these stories. Because a lot of times in the Bible, and in the Gospels in particular, the meaning of the story is locked into the way the biblical writer tells the story. And here we have something interesting. Notice that Luke does not tell us how Jesus responds right away. He builds suspense for a few beats, and notice what he does. It's not an accident. He takes a verse and a half, all of verse 9 and half of verse 10, to tell us all the people who are astonished by this tremendous catch, naming them, James and John, whom Luke specifies as Peter's partners. And I think, in an otherwise compact story, I think that's Luke's way of saying to us as readers, you know what? You're going to have to sweat it out here too. (laughs) You're going to have to feel this for a moment. And I think Luke wants us to feel what Peter feels. Namely, the Grand Canyon-sized gulf between God's power and generosity and our own meekness and miserliness. Well, after letting the suspense build, Luke gives us what Jesus says. Here's Jesus' response at the end of verse 10. What's he going to say? Peter says, go away. I can't take it. What's Peter going to do? What's Jesus going to do? Let's find out. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything everything, and they followed him. I think this is one of the great moments in the entire Bible. I mean, think about this. Think about this. At the moment when Peter expects a beat down, he receives a blessing. At the moment that Peter is most aware of the immense gulf between God and himself, an awareness that drops him to his knees, he receives grace. And what do we learn from this story? There is so much we could say. There's a kaleidoscope of different lanes we could go down, possibilities we could explore. But what's the inspired writer? What do we really think? Luke is most eager for us as readers to get out of this story. What is the reddest spot, the hottest spot on the thermographic map of this story? What is it? And here's what I think it is. And it's your big idea of the morning. Here's what. The true God, the one God who really exists in the real world, not just in our imaginations, the one true God is he who meets the crushed one with grace and the command to come. Let me say that again. The true God, the God who really exists, 
is he who meets the crushed one, crushed by a sense of his or her own smallness compared to God's bigness with grace and the command to come. This is God. This wasn't just God for Peter. We weren't given this story so we can know how God one time showed grace to one guy. This is God for us. God for us today. God as he really is for us. He's the God who says, do not fear. When we find ourselves undone, unraveled by the difference between who he is and who we are. This is God for you. And at the same time, he's also a God, the God, whose grace comes packaged with a command, a command to come with him on his fishing expedition to gather more, to find more people for God's family. And friends, this is what our loving God offers us in our own miracle catch moments. And you know what? It's different than what we would ordinarily expect. You know, on the one hand, when we become aware of our puniness and pettiness compared to God's power and his generosity, you know what we're tempted to do? We're tempted to receive that grace and then just get back to business. But this story teaches something else. It's saying, yes, God's grace is as wonderful as you could imagine it, but it comes with a command, an exciting command, full of possibility, but a command from the king, the kingly command to forsake our old way. Maybe whatever way it was that put us in touch with the gulf between God and ourselves and to forge ahead with him. Forge ahead down a road that puts us out of step, honestly, out of step with everybody else who hasn't come to know him as Lord. A road that calls us to joy when everyone else is feeling despair. A road that calls us to, listen to me here, middle schoolers, include other people in our friend circles when everyone else is trying to keep people out. A road that calls us to love loyally our families, our spouses, our siblings, when our instinct is to leave inconvenient commitments behind. You know, sometimes that come with me, come with me to catch people, that road, you know what it feels like sometimes? It feels like trammel fishing in daytime. It will make us out of step with nearly everyone else. But here's the truth, that road is the life-giving road. It's always the road. Even though it puts us out of step with everyone else, it's the road that leads to greater human fullness, greater psychological health, greater emotional health, greater relational health, greater fullness. You know, I can predict this week, at least some of us, I know this is going to happen, mark this moment. Some of us this week are going to have some kind of miracle catch moment. It will happen. When we expect a beatdown and we get a blessing instead. When we're aware of the gulf between God and us, it just hits us in the face and we get grace. When that happens, we too will be tempted like Peter to beg God to go away. <laughs> to not face it, turn away, look away. But you know, this story tells us to do something different. This story says, 
resist that urge to run and hide. And you know what it's calling us to do, every single one of us in those moments? It's inviting us to look up, to receive that grace, to take it full in the face, and then to respond by recommitting to the Jesus path, which is the path of love, the path of faithfulness, the path of sharing good news in a skillful way with all sorts of kinds of people. Let me pray for us, and then we will take communion together. Father, we're so grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful that you are the unexpected God that you are. One, we could never make up. We couldn't think you up. We couldn't imagine you because you surprise us at every turn. We don't expect you to be gracious in the face of our foolishness, but you are. And then we don't expect that grace will take the form of a summons to come with you, to be your friend, to be your partner down the road of the kingdom. And Father, we're so glad that it does because we don't want to go our own way. We're done with our own way. Your way is more exciting, more fruitful, more life-giving. And Father, this week, if and when we have our own miracle catch moments, empower us as a Hillside family to respond with a new commitment to receive that grace and then to live life after you along your strange and wonderful way of love and joy and self-giving to others. Be present with us as we take this meal and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Lord's table. This is a meal our Lord has given us because he loves us to experience his real presence so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be filled with joy, so that we can be made ready for everything that he has for us this week. This is his meal. When you came in, you received a basket with the elements. Take a minute to, to prepare those elements for the people that you came with. There's no rush. Take the time you need to do it. And in a minute, we'll, we will eat and drink together.
in the same way after he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes let's pray together lord jesus our savior to you be praise and honor for giving yourself, shedding your blood, letting your body be broken in death for us out of love. So that we can experience forgiveness, a clean slate, inclusion in your from every nation family and everlasting life. As a hillside family, we pray that you would bless this bread which we eat together. We ask that you would bless this cup which we drink together and let us through this blessed bread and this blessed cup become partakers of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ.
Join us. Let's read the Lord's Prayer together. Every voice. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory Salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Oh, this is my story, yeah. this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, oh this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, 
visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Oh, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. my Savior all the day long. you out with your benediction, let me just remind you, we have a prayer team here at Hillside. Part of their work on all of our behalf is to pray for us and to pray for us after services. And I invite you to come up here after the service 
and to be prayed for. You know, one way we can respond to the story that we got in deep with today, one way we can receive God's grace, recommit ourselves to his command to follow, is to receive the prayer of our brothers and sisters. And if you rush up here after the benediction, you might just get prayer. You won't be first in line. I will be first in line for Pastor Floyd's prayer ministry. But you can go after me if you want. Um, But we'd love to pray for you. I have a benediction for you that I've composed carefully because I want it to have some weight. Here it is. May our generous God give you, dear ones, at least one undeniable miracle catch moment where this week his generosity brings you to your knees. And when it comes, may you respond to it, not by shrinking away, but by savoring it and then by recommitting yourself to his kingdom way. God bless you, and we will see you soon.